Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is Podcast 1057. Well, we're going to continue what we started yesterday, and we're moving to the New Testament, to the book of Hebrews. Again, I want to convince you, if at all possible, of the way that we learn from God. We learn from one another. We learn from our parents. We learn from our teachers. But all of this comes from God because God is the one that made us. He made our minds. He made our minds to think. Now, I'm not just talking about the brain, the organ. I'm talking about the way you and I are put together, our mind. Our mind controls our brain, not the other way around. As a matter of fact, you say, well, I've already gotten old and I can't. No, 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 no. Listen. God made us to rejuvenate our own minds, our own brains. And as we learn new things, then we create new pathways, new canals, if you will. Now, there's technical terminology to all this. I'm not going there. I'm talking the way you and I think. We have new pathways. We can re-hardwire our brain, if you will. God gives us the ability to do this. And as a matter of fact, all of the latest research, not just the old research, but the latest research shows that as we get older and when we get past our 60s and get into our 70s and so forth, if we will learn a new language, if we will start a new habit, then new wires, new canals, new pathways will be created in our physical brain that will renew us and rejuvenate us. What happens is we bought into the lie of the West that when you get old, you need to retire. You need to stop. Listen, friends, if I stop, I drop because God made me on purpose, with purpose, for a purpose. God gave me a reason to get up of a morning, to go to bed at night so I can get up the next morning and serve him and know him. God made us to know him and to love him and to serve him. And so I want to help you to understand this. Now, yesterday we talked about learning from the general to the specific and knowing where we're going, and then we can understand how to get there and what's the best way to get there. That's the details. So many people want to study a verse. Well, tell me what that verse means. Well, you don't know the text because you don't know the context, a Latin word, which means with. And so you don't know the verses around it. You don't know the paragraph. You don't know the chapter. You don't know the book. You don't know the corpus. You don't know who wrote it, why they wrote it, all of those things. All of that's general stuff that helps us to get to the specifics of understanding a verse. You see, this is why a person says, well, Martin Lloyd-Jones took eight years to preach through Romans. Well, that's probably too long since Paul wrote it in a very short time. Yes, the ramifications and the applications and all of the shades and nuances, we can get into that, but you lose people. I say to pastors all the time, tell the story. People don't know the story of God. They don't know Genesis to Revelation. They know this story, that story, but they can't connect the dots. They don't know how to get from one to the other. They don't know how to navigate the Bible. 
God sectioned the Bible off. That's why Paul told Timothy, cut it straight. Get it right. Section it off properly. And then you can understand it. How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? The journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step. But you've got to know where you're going or you're going to get lost. This is so important. So let's get right to it in the New Testament. Turn to the book of Hebrews and I'll show you again how God does it. God always starts with an explanation. Here's what it is. And so in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, I'm so glad that this was chaptered off for us. Chapter 12 is another story, but 11 and 12, I believe, go together. Now, it's too long to make one chapter, and so I'm glad that it was divided. But chapter 11, the first two verses explain what faith is. In other words, it is an explanation of faith. It is a definition, if you will. Now, I'll read it to you. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders, that is, the great leaders of old, obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are seen or visible. I could read that to you 10 times, and I would say, explain faith to me, and you couldn't likely do it. I mean, these two verses have been exegeted. They've been explained. They've been turned inside out. Every noun declined, every verb parsed, every participle broken down to its adverbial, adjectival, substantival, all of these various kinds of verbiage. But you still don't know what faith is. Why? Because that is an abstract concept. God made our minds, and he knows that we have difficulty with abstract concepts. That's why a child, until they get to be somewhere between 8 and 12, sometimes for some of us far later than that, for some selected few earlier, but the reality is we don't understand anything but concrete up until our minds begin to form. Why? Because that's the simplest form of thinking is when we concretize something, when we make it concrete. That's why when you talk to a child, be careful about asking Jesus into your heart, because if they're a young child or they hadn't begun to think abstractly that the heart might be the center of a man's being, they will think you're talking about the blood pumper and a little door, a diagram will be shown of opening up a valentine looking heart and Jesus on the inside. And all of that is good for illustrative purposes, but it's really not reality. That's not what asking Jesus into our heart is about. And sometimes we simplify things more than God does. And the reason is a child many times, although they're taking steps toward God, they don't understand substitutionary atonement. They just understand what they understand. And they're not ready truly for a lifetime commitment. And so as they get older, they realize, you know, well, I'm growing in my faith. Well, some of them are just coming to faith and that's okay. I don't want to get into that argument today. All I'm trying to get you to see is you can read Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, and really not know a whole lot more than what you did when you read it. 
Why? Because this is the way our minds are. So God made us. He's giving us the explanation, just like in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Well, that's a mouthful. So is Hebrews 11-1 and 2. So what does God do? God made us so he knows we need to concretize things. We need to illustrate things. So God explains. He gives the explanation of faith. I mean, just the definition of it. That's what it is. I mean, it's harder to say it any better than that. I mean, it's God who inspired this to be written. However, our peanut brains want to say, well, show me, what are you talking about? Uh, That's so abstract. Now, remember this when you're teaching. You teachers remember this. You pastors remember this. This is just what I've had to learn over the years. I'm not sure anybody really taught me this or ever even told me this. My brain works so simple. I am such a country farm boy. My mind doesn't work in the abstract many times and in the transcendent. I'm down here on the lower shelf where the cookies are for the kids. And so I want to do that very thing with the people that I teach and that I have influence in their lives. And so what I want you to understand is the more abstract the principle or the concept, the more abstract that is transcendent beyond our normal way of thinking, the more abstract the concept, the more numerous and vivid have to be the illustrations that make it real to a person. This is so important. The more abstract the concept, the more plenteous, the more numerous, the more vivid, the more colorful have to be the illustrations to make it real, to concrete it in our minds. And so look what the writer of the book of Hebrews did, whom I believe is Luke. I believe it's Paul's theology, but Luke wrote it. Beginning at verse four, he starts talking about Abel. Then he starts talking about Enoch. Then he starts talking about Noah. Then he starts talking about Abraham and then Sarah. Down through all of these various great heroes of the faith, God is trying to say, this is what faith looks like. Now, that's not the definition of faith. It is the explanation and illustration of faith all in one. He explained it. He defined it in the first couple of verses. But then he tells us exactly what it looks like. And most of us are visual learners. Most of us need help. We need somebody to draw a picture for us. Why? Because we can't reach out there. Very few people can And so we have to illustrate it. We have to draw it out for people. And illustrations, someone said, is like windows into a dark room that bring in light and help you to see better and help you to understand better. That's those aha moments that we get when someone really illustrates something. We go, oh, man, now that makes sense. Oh, that is so good. This is why, by the way, a trip to Israel with somebody who knows Israel and understands Israel and understands the geography and the history and the context and the cultural context and the linguistic context, all of a sudden you go over there and it's like a seminary education plus. Why? Because you're walking it. I mean, you can read about Gettysburg all you want to, but you go stand on the hills above Gettysburg, you walk the battlefield, and all of a sudden you understand they were going uphill here. That's why they couldn't run. That's why they were having to duck for cover. On and on, because you're there. 
This is very important. So as you go through the book of Hebrews, you have all of this hall of fame of heroes of the faith. And he wants to tell more, but he can't. And so he just starts rattling it off. Think about it. In verse 32, he said, and what more shall I say? For the time would fail me like I am right now to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, David and Samuel. I mean, look at all the prophets that he left out. He says, oh, my goodness, it's so wonderful. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of aliens, women received their dead. And he goes on and talks about their torture and what they endured and how some of them were sawn into on and on and on. And then he just gets to the end of it and says, all these having obtained a good report, a good testimony through this element that I've been telling you about, this ethereal transcendent concept that you can't see, feel, or touch I've tried to make it live for you. I've tried to make it personal in the lives of people. Whatever this element is, this concept is, these people had it. And they received something that they never could touch. They saw something that they never, with their visible, visual eyes, saw. And that is faith. And then in chapter 12, he says, therefore, now remember, anytime you see a wherefore, therefore in the scripture, stop and ask yourself, what is that wherefore or therefore, therefore? And he's usually drawing a conclusion. In other words, on the basis of all that I've said unto you, this is what Paul does in Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God that you, and then he tells them what to do. You see, God doesn't tell us something. God doesn't say something just so we go, oh, that's wonderful. He says something. He tells us something so we will obey, so it'll change our lives. God's into life change because we are sinful creatures and we need to be changed. So Paul said, I've told you all about salvation. Now live it out. Chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 of Romans. Paul has just told you about faith. He explained what it was in the first couple of verses, and then he illustrated it for another 35, 36 verses. And now he says, therefore, now that you know this, since you're surrounded by such a great cloud of these witnesses that he's just named for 40 verses, let us lay aside every weight. Let us, in other words, because of all of this, you and I need to act. We need to do something. Again, God doesn't give us knowledge as a toy. It is a tool to help other people to come to Jesus. He said, lay aside every weight and the sin which ensnares us so easily and let us run with endurance the race that is before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of God. And then he goes on to talk about faith in action and how we need to do this, do this, do this, do this. Because you see, yes, we need to understand. We need to grasp it. We need to become everything that God wants us to be. 
But once we understand who we are, then we need to get busy. We need to get to action. We need to start serving. And the great perplexity of all of this and confusion of all this is we see something we need to do, but we don't understand who we are in Jesus. So we go out and try to perform something and we don't have the understanding to appropriate God's spirit living within us. And we get all frustrated and we fizzle out and then we quit. Then we stop. Then we have to get right. You see, all of this is sometimes just because we don't take time to understand how God speaks to us. God speaks to us from the general to the specific. We need to understand the big picture. This is why I wrote the story of the Crimson River, so that we can understand that from before God ever made the heaven and the earth, he already knew where he was going. I mean, after all, he's God. He, from the early onset of man's fall, already had a plan. I mean, when Adam sinned, he didn't go, oops, I didn't, I didn't think about, man, this guy has messed up. Now what am I going to do? I'm going to have to come up with a plan. God already knew what he was doing, and he already had it worked out. And so he went from the general, from all of mankind, all of that, down to one person, Abraham. And it was when Abraham that he made a covenant of salvation and the family through which all of salvation would come for the whole earth. And then God said, well, man needs this kingdom to be ruled by someone. And so he made a covenant with David. And so it was through not just Abraham and his seed in general, which was millions, but now through one family, one tribe, and within that tribe, a small family. He chose a person, and from that person, a dynasty came on and on and on. You see, God knows where he's going. You can trust him. That's faith. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.